42 Days ethos is to build solutions for hospitality businesses to retain and develop their team. We believe that the first 42 days, the first six weeks of someone's employment in any industry, but especially the world of hospitality, is so competitive, fast-paced and intense. We have an opportunity to reshape that narrative. Our team has extensive experience in the hospitality industry, so we know what it takes to keep your team happy and engaged. We'll work with you every step of the way to create a plan that works best for your business. Go to 42days.co to book a consultation. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's podcast, Burrito Bay serves some of the freshest and most delicious burritos in Melbourne. All restaurants are an inclusive and welcoming place. Their mission is to create a safe and inclusive work environment that focuses on meaningful and positive interactions and individual staff development. This approach within inside their workplace has proven to improve the overall workplace culture as well as improve the bottom line. So I feel so lucky to have a conversation with the co-founders of Burrito Bay today, Beck and Alana. Hey Beck and Alana, how are you? Good, how are you going? I am very, very well. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, of course. It's exciting to have a chat with you both. We've been really lucky this season to have a lot of great female founders on the podcast who are doing amazing things in our industry. We want to make sure we amplify those voices as we talk to more people who are doing fantastic things. So it's great to have you both on the podcast today and really sharing your story. I'm excited for where this is going to go. As I said to you both last week, I think this is going to be more than one conversation that we have over the next year or so. But let's just start out, like, how did you guys both get started out in the hospitality industry? Hey, hey, it's Beck. So I started off in the hospitality industry, you know, in your classic local pizza shop. And then from there, I moved to the local fish and chip shop, doing all the jobs everyone hated, like, you know, dishwashing and wasn't really in the kind of cooking element of it um, back then. And... After that, at 18, I got my first job at a restaurant. That went really well. Like, I kind of got my first glimpse of what it was like to be in a kitchen. Um, I did a lot of prep work and, you know, worked on, you know, the different areas and found that hospitality industry was awesome, but it wasn't really what I was looking for in the kitchen sense just because it was – the fast pace of it was awesome, but it, there was a lot of criticism, I guess, in that – kitchen that I was working in. So I moved into Movenpick where I got the opportunity to learn how to train staff and, you know, open up stores and learn kind of the day-to-day runnings of a business, which was really awesome. And then had a bit of a career change and went into disability. I found that, you know, when working in the hospitality industry, I wasn't kind of meeting the passion of people that I was looking for, even though hospitality was the industry I wanted to be in. So 
um, during my time in disability, I worked with, you know, adults working on their life skills. We kind of opened up or had the idea to open up the food truck. In the meantime of that, just in between, I started studying a Bachelor of Counselling, which I really enjoyed. And then we dabbled in the idea of the food truck. Cool. That's awesome. I've got so many questions after that response, especially about the counselling part and the disability part now that's helped in the hospitality industry. But before we get into that, what about yourself, Alana? So, yes, I'm Alana and I have been working in hospitality for quite some time now. I started working in hospitality um, underage, so um, probably I would have been around about 13 and nine months, so about a year off the legal age to work. Um, I was just working front of house at a Sivlaki joint, um, which is quite local to me. I thought that was pretty cool, hanging out with all the older kids that were able to uh, to work legally. Um, but I took a, a, a really big liking to, to working um, in the hospo industry because I, I loved that, um, that, that human interaction that you have with people. You get all sorts of people. Um, in hospo, you get, you know, that the hangry people that once you, they're fed, they're quite pleasant afterwards. Um, I love seeing that kind of like transition from, you know, hungry and angry to absolutely satisfied and walking out of um, the restaurant feeling feeling good. So, um, yeah, that's where I beca- my passion be, uh, began. I then went on to work uh, for a couple of different restaurants around the area and then worked for Sanchiro for a little bit. That was quite fun. So I was working in desserts rather than uh, the savoury option. Then I worked for Grilled. That was a really fun time. So I worked there for about four years and I got to kind of um, expand on my leadership skills there. Um, I always wanted to be a leader and that presented me with the opportunity to do so. At Grilled, I, I worked as a team leader at Water Gardens, um, which was local to me. And then I helped the same owner open up another Grilled in Yarraville. So I helped with the hiring process and training the staff and all that kind of stuff, which I loved. Like that, that was awesome to me. So it was just like a different type of interaction. So going back to you know, customer interaction when I was a little bit younger to then interacting with people that I'm going to be working with on a day-to-day basis and hiring them and getting to know them and, and seeing them upskilled and all that kind of stuff was fulfilling for me. Then I went uh, to help a couple of other people in uh, the grilled ownership team um, opened up a few of, of their, their restaurants and then landed back at Water Gardens and then thought I'd have a career change went into sales. But ultimately I wanted to be in hospitality, so that's when Burrito Bay kind of came into the mix. Was it Burrito Bay that brought you back together and back into hospitality? Definitely, yeah. So how did the idea for that actually come about? Um, it's a pretty funny one actually. So, you know, I think a lot of people assume that we probably had a plan for it which we definitely didn't. Um, Alana and I are both super spontaneous, which is both good and bad. Mm. Um, So we pretty much floated the idea. We were talking one night just saying, you know, it'd be so good to have a cafe or have a restaurant. And then we both had the idea of that we wanted to start a food truck. Mm. My family, when they immigrated to Australia, they had a churro truck. So that's kind of for myself where the food truck idea kind of had its place in my heart for mm-hmm. Alana she liked the idea of being mobile with something and you know the idea of working in kind of cool festivals and all that kind of stuff 
So we spoke about it very briefly one night, probably a two or three minute conversation. And then the next day I was in disability at the time at work and I get a text from Alana saying, hey, so I've gone to a couple of food truck places and I've got a couple of quotes. And I said, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, well, I thought we were going to do it. And I was like, I didn't know we were actually going to do it. All right, like, let, let's see how this goes. It's like, Beck, spontaneous. Lana, very spontaneous. Yeah. I love it. So um, we signed for a food truck three or four days after that conversation with absolutely no idea of what we were going to make. We kind of... We're going down the dessert avenue. Um, we at thought we were going to go for churros. We thought yeah. we'd do churros because we're like, the family has the recipe, it's going to mm. be easy. Um, and then because we weren't kind of set on that idea, we started telling people we'd sign for a truck. People were just assuming it was Mexican because we both loved Mexican. They were going, obviously, it's going to be that. Mm. Um, and that kind of that thought sparked the idea, I think, as well. When we decided to go for churros, we started to build a menu and everything. And for both ideas, churros and burritos, we had no idea how to run a business just yet. We'd worked with other businesses. We didn't know how to run our own. Mm. Um, so I think we started to think about it just a tiny bit more in depth. And we thought, look, if we're doing churros, we've got the markup of the product is quite good. But then you've got... Uh, a certain time frame that you're selling it in, mm. you need to pump out more of them to actually make a, a good dollar. Whereas with burritos, they're versatile. Uh, you can have them any time during the day. Mm. Decent markup, and you don't have to pump out as as many burritos as churros to to make a dollar. So that kind of then sparked the idea to, hey, like maybe let's do burritos instead. Mm. Yeah, because we did discuss, you know, doing tacos at the start and we looked at a couple of taco trucks and we saw that there were a lot of them, but when we were researching, we couldn't find any burrito trucks at the time. There, I think there was one, but they had closed down recently. We tried to contact them because we thought, we'll try them out, we'll see what they're doing, and there wasn't any. Our favourite burrito shop had recently shut as well, so that was probably a big reason why we thought burritos, but we'd actually never made one. Yeah. So the first <laughs> attempt of making a burrito was actually so bad. And once we set our heart on it, we made it and we thought, this is horrible, how are we going to do this? You know, <laughs> the, the equipment started going in and we thought, we're, <laughs> we're going to like fail i don't know if if you have tried to make a burrito at home or anybody that's listening has tried mm. to make a burrito at home but they're terrible like you just can't get the right ingredients at your woolies to to yeah. make a perfect burrito like very it true just doesn't work. <laughs> so we're here trying to make a recipe with woolies ingredients and it just was not working but we we persisted so when did the actual uh, when did you actually purchase the truck? Like what year was this? Pretty sure we purchased the truck in 2017. It, we got it in May of 2017, and the first event we did was in January 2018. Yeah, right. So we got it, and we didn't know what to do. So we just had it parked in you know my mum's backyard for months, just going, "How are we going to start? Who do we talk to? Yeah, you know, and kind of being like, now that it's real, we're scared to do it. We're both working full time. Yeah, I was studying at the time as well, so it was very difficult to know." you know, how are we going to manage it Sure. now that it's real? Yeah. So how did you find that information to actually know what to do? <laughs> Another so, funny one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's a good story. So after nights of sweating and crying in the kitchen trying to make burritos that weren't working, 
we were kind of like, okay, so who can we rely on the most that's going to give us the best feedback that want to see us succeed? Um, and we thought about chucking on a bit of a party for our families and family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and we fired up the food truck and we said to our family and friends, please come down, try our food. Don't tell us what's good. Tell us what's bad. Right. And we literally just spent, it was it was a pretty tragic day, actually. It started raining that day. We were in the backyard. Um, we short-circuited a few times. It really, yeah, it was really <laughs> testing us. Um, and, yeah, we basically just pumped out uh, what, we consi- what we were considering to put on our menu. And we got feedback from our family and friends just told us, what didn't you like about it? And let's change that. So, And then my neighbour at the time, Daniel, he... And his partner, Dale, they said to us, we've got my brother's 30th. We're going to do it at the Ascot lot, which mm. is a local food truck around Ascot Vale. And a uh, food truck park, sorry. And we went down there and we did our first event catering to just them. And then from there, the Ascot lot owners were like, we'd love you to come back. And we started our food truck journey m- predominantly at the Ascot lot. We pretty much traded there every single weekend for maybe six months and got the experience we needed to start, you know, serving customers again and, you know, which we knew anyway, but, you know, how it feels when you own the business. It's a different feeling to do it for someone else and to do it for yourself, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Talk me through that first time you're at Ascot lot and you're actually running through service. Like, talk me through the good and the bad of that day. (laughs) Uh, the first trailer, so it was a trailer, it wasn't actually a truck that we bought. Mm-hmm. First trailer, <clears throat> our pride and joy didn't behave as we wanted it to. In what ever. way? Oh, it okay. was always short circuit. <laughs> oh, wow. Always. So we were constantly having to, yeah, to switch things off, switch them on, try to work that out and all that kind of stuff. That was probably our main stress of the day. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I think that... It's a common theme with people that have food trucks or food trailers that short circuiting is probably an issue because you've got all of this kitchen equipment inside this tiny, tiny box and you're trying to withdraw all this energy from this tiny little thing out of like two power cords. Like it just, it's really hard. It's really hard to do. And we're trying to run a full-blown kitchen out of there. Um, So, yeah, it was... And trying to get, you know, the product out. Like, you know, you've made it at home, but you've made one or two. When we did our family and friend event, we did 30. This was an event, I think there was maybe 30 or 40 people, but they're not your family and friends anymore. You know, these are customers, and if you do it bad, they're going to tell you or they're going to be like, let's not get them again. So there was a lot of pressure in those that initial first day to get the burritos out on time, get them perfect. You know, wrapping a burrito is really difficult. Mm. And we didn't have a lot of experience doing them. So I think (laughs) most of them look like, you know, wraps. They were like flat. They weren't round. Um, You know, getting them out on time, making sure they look good. Like, are we presenting them right? Are we cooking, you know, cooking everything right? Because we're using this equipment for the second time ever, you know. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it was an awesome day, but it was extremely stressful. Yeah. 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 What did you um the fact you had a food truck was that the reason why the limited menu and the fact you went for burritos only and didn't sort of delve into a bigger and larger menu? Yeah, I think um that one um good point, but two as well. We when we were doing research into other burrito trucks, um we did find that one that Beck mentioned before. Um there were other trucks that 
did burritos, but they weren't, it wasn't a burrito truck. So we kind of wanted to showcase our burritos and l- allow them to speak for themselves. So we just thought, look, if people are going to come to Burrito Bay, they're going to want burritos. Mm. So we just thought, burritos, that's it. Um, and, you know, gain our credibility with our customers and then slowly introduce more to the menu as people start to love us. So mm. um, it was it that was just our main goal, just burritos, mm. and just see how we go with that. Yeah, and did, didn't want to overwhelm ourselves at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think that back then as well, burritos weren't the craze that they are now. You know, you've got a couple of bigger chains that are specialising in burritos, but when we started, those chains were probably there, but you didn't really know about them as much. Burritos was something that you kind of went to your local shop in maybe like Carlton or Collingwood and they did an awesome burrito, but you only knew because your friend mentioned it and you're like, what is it? Like, maybe Mm. I haven't had it before. I've had it once or twice, you know. So it was a bit of a risk, but we didn't really think about that back then. Mm. Yeah. Did you decide early on if you'd be more of a marketing-led business or a product-led business? Because like when we both work for Grilled and I'm curious if Grilled's helped you in this journey in, in regards with thinking about how you do service and those kind of things. But Grilled, even though it has really good product range, is actually marketing-led business, Yeah. right? It's not about the product. It's more about the marketing than anything else. Did you sort of use the same sort of thoughts with this brand or did you go product first? Um, we, so I had no idea or Beck and I had no idea when it came to marketing. Um, so we made sure that our product was 100% um, and I think that that's where we kind of, uh, yeah, we put all of our eggs in that basket. Um, and when we knew our product was great and we had the confidence that it was going to sell, we started to then focus on marketing because we wanted to market the product um, and have it in line with the actual quality of the product too. We didn't want to go and market a product that we weren't confident in yet. Cool. So um, basically we made sure that we are confident in our burritos and we're like all right marketing now and we knew marketing was important because um when you look at a successful business you go onto the instagram you're like well this is professional Mm. and um there's still a little bit of work to do in that space for burrito bay um and and we're hoping to kind of yeah now that we've got a little bit more time on our hands um to kind of yeah go down the marketing space a little bit more and explore that avenue. But, um, yeah, definitely it was product for, first for us. Yeah, right. Yeah. Have you have you grown the marketing channel? Because the, your marketing is, like, legit. Like, you've got a good amount of followers. Like, it's really good content and that kind of stuff. Was that just the two of you, like, doing really good content over a period of time? Um, so... I was not allowed to write any captions. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably why it was went so well. Um, I tried and I was told Failed. no more. Yeah. Mm. So Alana does all of the captions. <laughs> she was doing um, most of the photography at the start as well. You know, everything was just on our iPhones. Mm. And now we're starting to kind of engage photographers and go, okay, look at that space. But marketing still isn't something we've really explored. I think yeah. that... You know, we got really lucky during COVID that we had uh, Nova and Smooth FM. They did a plug for us because we won a competition through Square. Right. Um, cool. Yep. So that was really good. That helped us grow. And I think also having the food truck as well, it was mobile marketing. Like we'd literally mm-hmm. be driving down to our gigs and people would be breaking their necks, turning around to like see 
what <laughs> what we were about. Um, mm. We've got a great brand. We've got a great logo. It's it's attractive. So people turn around, they'll look at our food truck and we'll go on because we're on the road. So they'll look us up on Instagram and be like, oh, this is awesome, follow. Mm. So we'd back be driving the truck and I'd be sitting in the passenger seat and we'd just be getting follow after follow after follow because the truck was out and about. So that's mm. where we gain most of our followers from when we're on the road. Super interesting. Yeah. Sorry, you go. And we're very fortunate with the logo. You know, uh, Alana's cousin designed it, Christy. She designed it for us. And, you know, we kind of said, we want a cactus. And she goes, (laughs) okay. And we're waiting about a week. And I remember saying to Alana, like, she hasn't gotten back. You know, she's still going to do it. And then two days later, she came back with this, you know, massive design. (laughs) And I remember looking at it and going oh, my God, it's so detailed. Like, are we going to have this on the truck? Or mm. How do we feel about it? And we we literally said to her, it. like, just a cactus is fine. I'm going to have a black truck. We just want a cactus on it. And she just went rogue and killed it. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is just, she's like, so what are the dimensions of the truck? And I was like, okay, yeah. like, sure, like, it's going to be a cactus, but I'll give you the dimensions of the mm. truck. Next minute, it was fully fitted out, and it was just Great amazing. Great designer, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. having an attractive truck. Driving around really, really helped with that. It's made a difference for sure. Yeah, Yeah. right. I was just going to ask, like, where did the name come from? I have no idea. (laughs) 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 So we've kind of made reasons for the name now. Uh Um, The name, we kind of started throwing things around. Back then, Bay was, you know, like baby. Everyone said Bay. So we thought, oh, we'll use that. That sounds kind of cute. Yeah. A year later, we heard on the radio that, you know, it's out of fashion and it's not cool anymore. So we'll shout it about that. But, you know, we can't change our name now. We also looked into the word Bay and it actually means before anything else. So then we're like, all right, burrito before anything else. So, um, yeah, that became like a kind of like little slogan. We've got a little frame. Um, in our bathroom at Ascot Vale, the Ascot Vale store, that kind of explains that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know who came up with it when mm. we came up with it. It just happened. Mm. Yeah. And now we're like, oh, Beck, Alana, Enterprise. We always just make <laughs> things up for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a changing acronym. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, one question I always ask food truckers, because I've only done – I've only ever done one – yeah, one – uh, food truck event type food truck event uh, at Welcome to Thornbury once, uh, which I'll tell you about after the podcast because it was both really good and really bad. Um, how do you how do you decide what is a good event that you want to do that is a bit there's a bit random, right? If you go to a food truck park or a, or a musical uh, not musical <laughs> a music <laughs> festival or something like that, rather than a booking for a wedding or something like that, like how did you decide what was going to be a good event? So for us, we didn't decide based on what was a good event. We decided based on what our truck we knew would work for our truck. Okay. Because we short-circuited almost every time, we needed to make sure we had power at every event. So if someone said you need to supply your own power, it was automatically out. That's why we stayed at the Ascot lot for so long. Mm. We knew it was safe. We liked the owners. They're great guys. Um, So we enjoyed trading there, but knowing we had the security... And then as we started to kind of, people were demanding for the food truck, um, we were looking for those powered events. You know, we did a Pride event. We did, you know, we were about to start trading with um, the Melbourne Convention Centre who provided power. But that was essentially all we were looking for. Will we be able to run through the whole event? Mm. We did a 
we did an event for a primary school or a high school. Primary school it was a primary school concert. Yeah, Brighton. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and um, we awesome. we short circuited, and it was so embarrassing, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> we were like, please don't short circuit the stage. Please don't short circuit the stage. <laughs> Music turns off. No, we didn't. It oh, was fine. Wow. We didn't, and that that traumatized <coughs> us. You know, we drove out of that, and I'm pretty sure we took out a bit of guttering on our way out of the school, and you know, <laughs> actually we did. We, we did. did. <laughs> uh, it was pitch dark and Beck was trying oh, to get me wow. to guide her out to reverse the truck. She's like, keep like, coming. coming. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're in the gutter. And she's like, keep coming. It cut our power. And you're not going to believe oh. it cut the, the actual main um, power line oh. on the top of our truck. When we got back to plug ourselves in, the truck wouldn't turn on. The, the It was gone. So, like, we, we had no power. And the next day was our Nova event. So oh, we had an event no. for Nova 100 at Swinburne University. Wow. So we had to call out an um, a emergency electrician, which cost us an arm and a leg oh. to, to try to fix it. Yeah. But it was our yeah. first major event. We, we thought, how are we going to call Nova and say, we're not coming? You know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that would be the end of us. So, yeah, we yeah. made it work. <laughs> Yeah, I think like that. This conversation's actually sparked a memory about the food truck when we started to get these bigger inquiries, like mm. for Nova One Hundred Melbourne Convention. Like we first started off in a trailer, right? So when we started getting these um, events, uh, we were like, we can't do it in our trailer. Like we just mm. don't have the space. We don't have enough capacity. Um, we can't fill the truck with enough food for all these people that they want us to feed staff. Like you can only fit Beck and I in this trailer. Like yeah, we need more people. Right. So we decided to then buy a truck and that truck was uh, a little bit bigger and we designed it to have a push out bench. So um, flip up the, the window, push out the bench and it expands the truck so that there's a lot more room for more people to, to kind of stand mm. in and help us. Um, so yeah, that was just an interesting memory because when we did start getting those events, that's when we decided to upgrade. Mm. That's also when COVID kind of kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, was, that was about yeah. a year, a year after we got the trailer or maybe eight months, we upgraded to the food truck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. About, about that. Yeah. And then, yeah, a, a lot of things happened at that time. Upgraded the food truck. I quit my full-time job, COVID. Yeah. Started yeah. happening as well. Yeah, Beck quit her full-time job as well. So I quit my full-time job. We started getting all these events. I was like, yep, cool. Kind of working on it myself. And I was like, we can make this work. We can make this work. Beck, quit your job. Like, this is going to be good for us. <laughs> Beck quits her job. COVID happens. All the events stop. Mm. <laughs> yep. Easy in hindsight to look back and go, that yeah. was maybe not the best thing. But yeah. obviously it has become the best thing, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. It yeah. Was. So w why did you go from trailer to truck to store rather than trailer to store? So we liked the food truck because the overheads were low. Right. We never had any intention on opening a restaurant mm. at the start. Or I think that even when we started dabbling in the idea of it during COVID, we were kind of surprised. Um, we During COVID, it gave us a really good opportunity in the sense that everything became really cheap to rent. Or not really cheap, but a lot cheaper. Mm. And we didn't have the money beforehand to invest in something like that. You know, you've got the fit out, you've got the rent you're paying, overhead stuff, which we still didn't know a lot about. Like, you know, we didn't know anyone that was running a hospitality business. At We're, that time. At as that well. time, yeah. right. So we, we were kind of learning and fluking, I guess, everything along the way. Yeah. I think as well... Um, 
we did decide to go for a truck because it was mobile and we didn't know where our demographic was going to be. So mm. um, being mobile, we could place ourselves anywhere and if it was good, it was good, we could stay. We could mm-hmm. stay for a little bit, move and, mm. and check out where our next location is going to be. Um, during COVID, we were lucky enough, again, the Ascot Lot boys, amazing guys, they said, you guys just quit your jobs, stay in the car park here and see what you can do out of the car park. So Beck and I were like, okay, well we have to do something. We've got no jobs. <laughs> so we ordered up <clears throat> and um, we sat in the car park from 11 a.m. sometimes to midnight and sometimes we'd make eight burritos in that day. Like, it was horrible. Seven days a week. Seven yeah. days a week. We are just sitting there and we are like, well, look, if we get to speak to eight customers, then at least we keep our sanity because, you know, at this time we weren't able to see family, friends, anything. So although we weren't making money, we were still able to, to speak to people. And the difficult thing I think about the food truck is back then we didn't have anyone who was coming for us. Every single person that came to our truck, normally, unless our family and friends and a couple of people that were like, this place is awesome, were coming because of the venues we were at. Mm. So that was that kind of stopped us from having a lot of control on where we would go and how our business would grow because we went, if we open up a shop, are we going to have the customers, you know? Yeah. And then, um, so during that time, like Beck said, like people started coming for us. And we, so we got to a point in COVID where people weren't allowed out of the house only to get food. So we had the local people that were allowed to come to us to get the food. Um, We then decided to get onto Uber Eats. um, And that was a marketing strategy for us because Mm. we thought, look, even if we do break even with their commissions at the time being high for um, that period, Especially, we thought if we're getting our name out to these people that are using this platform, which we know is very popular and there's thousands of people that are on it, then at least people will know that we're here. So that when things go Mm. back to normal, which we didn't think it was going to be that long, Mm. um, they'll come. They'll come for us. Um, So we jumped onto Uber Eats and it started to pump. It really started to pump on Uber Eats, which was Mm. amazing. And I I get chills thinking about that (laughs) because... Through Uber Eats, like, we... And they get a really bad rap um, because of the commissions and stuff. But through Uber Eats, we built relationships with our customers. Like, we knew it was such a hard time for everybody. We'd write cute little notes to each other. Um, we would... Um, we, we really just fell in love with these people that were supporting us and the whole mm. Ascot Vale community. Like, we really just fell in love with them um, through... <laughs> Just this small interaction that we got by feeding them and sending each other messages and stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and Uber offered a lower commission fee if you drove. So because we were getting such a low amount of orders, one of us was going out and we were driving the orders out and the other one was making it. And that was a big way to kind of bring a little bit more money in because we were pretty much both relying on it. Luckily, we were both living at home at the time. So or we'd recently... We, we had moved out beforehand. We both had moved home and it was a good opportunity for us to be like, okay, we don't have to pay rent. We don't have all these overheads. So it was pretty much like anything we made was was working. You weren't going out. You weren't, you know, going out for dinners or partying with your friends. So it was. it didn't really matter how much we were making. We were like, okay, it's something to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think then, um, yeah, it started to pick up and we then of course, fell in love with that area. And 
uh, COVID started to ease up a little bit and we weren't sure if it was going to be a permanent thing or not, but we started getting inquiries again um, for events and, and all of that. So had the Melbourne Convention um, Centre asking us back. We had heaps of people reaching out to us. We're like, okay, great opportunities, but we actually don't want to leave this space because we've built this amazing connection with everybody in Ascot Vale and surrounding suburbs. And mm. we, we felt as though we've spent eight months or nine months building up um, the, this clientele, people that loved us, we don't want to leave them. Mm. And then this shop became available up the road, literally like, I don't know, like 50 metres up the road, maybe not even. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And we'd yeah. seen it at the start of COVID, we saw it. Um, I'm pretty sure maybe Alana noticed it and then was like, no, nah, it's a bad idea. And I said, let's have a look at it. Back then it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of renovations that went into it. It doesn't look anything like what it does now. Mm. The plumbing was shocking. Everything was shocking. So we walked in and we went, nah, not this place. We left, you know, four or five months later, it's still on the market. And I said to Alana, oh, let's have another shot. Let's, let's, see, let's see it again. And we drew up a little plan of the front of house and what we thought it would look like because that was the hardest area to imagine, you know, transforming. Okay. And we drew it up and funny enough, it looks almost identical to what it is now. And we said, all right, now that we've got a vision, let's see if we can negotiate. Let's see if we can get the lease a little bit lower. And we kind of did, not really, but did a little bit. And we went, all right, let's, Alana said, let's sign it because she's a spontaneous one. And then I went, hold on, like, <laughs> are you sure this is what we want to do? It's a big step. But we signed it and started renovating, like, straight away. opened four months later. Wow. Still kind of during COVID because no yeah, one could dine in for the first <laughs> four months, I think, yeah. of us trading. Let's take a step back a bit. You're doing eight burritos a day, seven days a week. You both <laughs> moved back home. You both started this business. You quit full-time jobs. What did you learn about each other during that time? <laughs> that we can't spend seven days straight together. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we learned it very fast. <laughs> hey, yep. um, uh, yeah, we also learned how many burritos we could each eat without um, completely <laughs> dying or <laughs> crying. Because <laughs> we were literally living off burritos um, because that's all we could really afford. Like, we yeah. just... It was burritos. We're like, okay, well, we've got access to it. <laughs> Let's just eat burritos. So, yeah, I guess like what we kind of learned from each other is like Alana's very good at thinking outside the box. It's a big reason why our business has been so successful. Mm. It's because you kind of, and I think also a big reason why we've had the chance to be so successful is because we never really had a plan on where we were going. So when COVID hit, it was it wasn't like okay. We had all these gigs that were coming up. There was this big growth and this big opportunity, but we didn't. We weren't always aiming for it because we didn't think it would ever come. Right. I remember the first f first phone call from, you know, one of the big gigs, and we thought, "How did we get this?" Like, you know, and we were just laughed about it. And we still do that sometimes when we go into meetings and we talk to people. And we go we just laugh afterwards and we go, why are we here? Like, why are they talking to us? It's a bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a yeah. bit of imposter syndrome. So, yeah, Alana's very good at thinking outside the box and that's where the Uber Eats, let's use, initially Uber Eats was a marketing tool. Let's market it and somehow um, translate that customer to come into the store. Let's build this relationship through the messages Alana was talking about beforehand and eventually they'll know us. We were dropping off the food so they were seeing our faces, they were getting to know us. People were coming down sometimes just walking by 
July. During COVID, everyone was super depressed. So they were just coming for a chat, you know, and we talked to them and then they'd become our customers. And some people didn't, but some people did. And, you know, that was a, a really good thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm kind of more of a stick to something. So once I agree or sign on to something... I will stay there until it's like burning to the ground <laughs> and I'll burn to the ground with it. So that helped a lot, I think. Oh, as well. definitely. And I definitely learned that about Beck too. Like there were times where I was like, that's it. Like I have yeah. had enough. Like I don't want this anymore. Like it's, I love it, but like, it's just way too hard. And because I've worked since I was 13, I was always very money driven. Yeah. Like I always got a paycheck. I always had the stability. Like I was just like, I can't, like I literally have no money. <laughs> and Beck's like, no, we'll, we'll do it. Like, we'll, let's keep going. And like Beck's persistence um, really, yeah, kind of helped us in that time because if Beck wasn't persistent, I probably would have been like, no, <laughs> and <laughs> walked away. And I didn't give her an option. That was a thing. <laughs> when Alana, every time Alana would say, I think this is a bad idea, let's sell the truck, I'll give it to you. And I was like, no, believe in it. It's going to it's going to grow. It's going to be a thing. But, you know, that's why I think we work so well as a team together. Alana's a spontaneous one. She finds us the opportunities and then I make sure we stick to them until they grow and we're both like, okay, this works. Yeah. Um, otherwise, one of us would always leave. Yeah, and I think that, like, as well, going back to the question, what did you learn about each other? I think that we both learnt that we have complete and utter trust with one another. Um, we'll always back each other, and we, yeah, we, we know how far to push each other as well, um, and it just works. Yeah. yeah, it just works. Most so. definitely does. Yeah. It's really obvious that it does. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, how much is the how has the product changed the, the actual menu changed since you've gone from a trailer concept to now having you know two bricks and mortar sites so obviously we start off with burritos we also had burrito bowls as well because basically the same thing just open yep. um and then when we ended up getting the truck we had a little bit more room to to fit more packaging and stock and whatnot so then we um, ended up adding nachos to the to the menu. We also had a little bit more bench space to add a tiny little fryer. So we started to add churros and jalapeno poppers. That was it. Guac yeah. and corn chips. Guac I and think corn we were chips. Doing yeah. Beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. So we we're doing all that. Um, it's just the the thing is with with the menu, we made it, we expanded the menu, but all the ingredients in the menu for burritos fit into the same um, menu items for everything else. So it's just having a burrito in a different way, really. Like you're having a burrito in a wrap, having a burrito in a bowl, we're having it on top of corn chips. So basically the same thing just made in a different way. And funnily enough, it tastes different. <laughs> like it really does. I don't know how, but it tastes different. I don't know if it's a psychological thing, but we're literally using the same ingredients. So that's that's what allowed us. So that that kind of simplicity and trusting in our ingredients allowed us to expand the menu but just do it in a different way and cater to those people that wanted to eat a burrito in a different way mm. um, without having to kind of go, oh, okay, we need more space to do it. So, mm. yeah. And we have discussed kind of growing the menu from there but I think it's nice to walk into a shop and you're seeing, you know, a couple of options and you know they do it well. Like, you know, Alana and I discuss that a lot. You walk into a shop and they've got, you know, like a hundred menu items and you go, is this going to be good? But they've got, you know, three or four and you know they're going to be good. You know the service will be fast. The service is always so good at those places because it's friendly and they know that they know what they're doing is yeah. good. 
you know, and that's what we kind of wanted to do. So, you know, we've had people complain the whole journey of put tacos on the menu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't that think was we're my next question. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that we'll do it. Um, a lot of people, yeah, they come up like, oh, do you do tacos? But look, we love tacos. We like to go out. I like to go out and eat tacos. Um, I still even go out and eat burritos. Perfect does as well, <laughs> yeah. but I just don't think we'll put it on the menu. Yeah, I just don't think it, it's ever going to happen. Mm. Yeah, we do. We do what we do best, and it's burritos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, was it like I love the fact you're doing cross-functional ingredients. Like it's something I, you know, talk to a lot of um, my clients and stuff like that about in consultancy. But there must be so much pressure to extend the menu, like. How have you been able to stay true and actually go, no, this is actually what we're about. We do burritos, we're doing bloody well, and we're doing quick. Like, how have you, how have you been able to hold Resolute on that together? Mm. So I think that we made the decision very early on that once we perfected it, we wouldn't make it bigger. Um, you know, with the burritos, we said once we get it right, we may add options to add in, but we would never change the burrito itself because, you know, you've got a lot of businesses, I guess, that we'd been to that had changed, that had the similar thing, but they'd changed their recipe and you go, I don't like that anymore. And Mm. we were worried that that would become a thing. So we had decided we didn't want tacos at the start. The The reason for that was the margin. We thought the margin on a burrito is bigger. It's also a big reason we don't do kids' menus because, you know, I, I normally get a kids' menu when I go anywhere, you know, <laughs> and, and that's so much less, you know, the, the margin for that. So that's kind of why we've stuck to what we yeah, have. Yeah, we don't want to overwhelm ourselves. Like we um, like we do we, yeah, with burritos, yeah, you smash it out to whole meal. Like someone will eat that for lunch. They won't have dinner because they're, they're – the burritos that we make, they're generous and they will fill you up. With tacos – some people might get four or five to fill themselves up. So we, you, we're having to make five tacos for one customer rather than one burrito. Mm. Um, and it goes back to us not overwhelming ourselves. I think that when we keep things simple, we have so much of a better time in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it already can get overwhelming as it is with the amount of burritos we're pumping out. We don't want to, you know, overwhelm ourselves or the staff. We just keep mm. it simple. And we know people are coming back, so why change it? And we tried to make the kitchen a space that anyone could step in and do it with a little bit of training. You know, that's coming from Alana's grilled, you know, experience. It's coming from my Moven Pick experience. We wanted to pretty much set it up that if we picked anyone out, we could train them in a couple of hours to not maybe wrap because wrapping's hard, but build the burrito. Like we want to, we want to be able to have an exit plan out of our business. It's a way we think you have to run a business. We can't be there forever realistically. We need to know if we don't pick up a call, it's going to run. If we go overseas, it's not going to It's gonna not fall to the ground. So it's a big reason why we haven't kind of grown it. We know what we do is good and we don't need to kind of keep building it. Why did you both make that choice for to have an exit strategy so early, even, even to do more venues and that kind of stuff? Because so many, especially young founders, and I found this when I was – um, running my bakeries at an early age, you're just in it. It, it becomes your identity, mm. the only thing you do, and you're there so much. You'd, I never thought of an exit strategy. Mm. Yeah. What made you think that? <clears throat> okay, so this only kind of came to our minds recently. I think as well because uh, Beck and I, we always ran it ourselves. We'll, we'll always, we spent eight months in a, in a truck together, just us two, smashing out these burritos when we started to employ our staff 
There's a few. There's the, this this answer is it's quite um, it's quite technical because when I think about it, like we've got new staff, we're upskilling the staff, right? We want to see them do what we do. So in order for them to do what we do, we need to step back. So um, that's one reason why we want to step back. Two is expansion. If we are in the kitchen constantly, we can't even think about expanding. Like we need to be able to step out to, to then think about those things. When we're in the kitchen, we're coming home at 10 o'clock at night, our mind doesn't switch off from the kitchen. Like we need that physical space and mental space away from the kitchen to be able to to, to expand. The, th- the third thing is, is we... We're exhausted. <laughs> like we can't just con- constantly be in the kitchen. Like eventually, if if and we've found this before, like when we're exhausted, we lose motivation and we we feel as though we're not working to the fullest, and the brand suffers because of that. Like when we are fresh and our minds are ready to go, mm. the brand thrives. So if we exhaust ourselves, the brand can turn to shit very mm. quickly, and we don't want that to happen. So. For us to have um, an exit strategy is important because we need to be able to work on the business rather than in the business mm. in order for it to expand and thrive. Um, and we know this because we have burnt ourselves out before and we, we just, yeah, we, we can't do that. Mm. We can't do that. We love the business too much for it to, yeah, to suffer because of us not being able to endure it. Yeah, and we're very big on work-life balance. I think that, you know, Alana mentioned a couple of things. There were we had a string of tragic events you know when we first opened the restaurant happened we had a lot of loss and deaths and there was a lot of grief in that process and I think that was a big eye-opener we realized that if we stop our business stops and that scared us when she says losses like we lost people in our lives like you know we 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 had deaths and And we couldn't be at the restaurant And, you know, sometimes we were making that sacrifice. We didn't have the time to, you know, grieve or be present or any of that stuff because we just had to work. And that was a huge eye-opener. It was like we need to be able to prioritise our business. But the first thing that comes is us. If we don't prioritise us, our business will fail every single time. You know, the interactions with the staff won't be as positive as what they are if, you know, we don't have the time to step back, not just, like, in that situation but in general and be fresh, you know. We're working with people at an extremely critical age, you know, a lot of or half of our staff are coming in at 14, nine months, you know. They're young kids and we want to make sure that we can be the support. We know that, you know, at this critical age we have the chance to change the course of someone's life in the sense of we teach them skills like how to speak up for what you want. You know, we have progress reviews and we talk about, you know, if if there's, you know, and our staff is so open with us and we love that, you know, we know what's going on in their lives and if it gets too heavy we teach them how do you ask us for some time off or less days or reduce your hours, you know, because we know that's going to make a difference. We couldn't do that in our past jobs. Yeah, and we know that that's what's best for us in our business. So what's good for us is good for our staff. So, yeah, taking care of ourselves initially allows us to then kind of um, be able to take care of our staff too in that sense. And, um, and it's leading by example. Like if they see us being able to have that work-life balance and we want that for them, then they can then do that for themselves as well, if that makes sense. If they see us complete, like, always working, always, you know, just stressed out all the time, they may think that they need to do that too, but we Mm. don't want that for them. 
we want them to, to feel good about coming to work and and they we want them to be able to see us happy as well so that they're happy too. So, mm. yeah, so it's, yeah. And people glorify it. That's the thing. People glorify owning a business. Owning a business is awesome. Running your own thing, there's so many positives. But there's this really difficult side of it as well you know people say you're going to have to make sacrifices they don't name the sacrifices they don't (laughs) they don't tell you what it is you're like yeah I'm not going to make money I'm going to run at a loss fortunately we didn't have to do that for very long but you know the emotional side of running a business is exhausting and no one really talks about that side of it you know so we can't we you know are so big we're big advocates on mental health and you know, all that kind of stuff. So that is a big drive for the work-life balance for every single person employed with us, you know, and we try to make sure we're doing that. You know, we're not perfect all the time. Alana and I generally, if we're not physically in the store, we're doing something anyway. Um, but, you know, we try and make sure we have days. And if, you know, one of us says, you know, I'm not co- contactable for this day, we don't contact each other, the other one will pick up the workload and we kind of do that and ease each other to stop each of us from burning out, making sure our staff aren't burning out and... All yeah. of that as well. Wow. That was a really good answer. This may be an impossible question to answer, but do you think you would come up with the realisations and the thought process and everything you care about that you've just spoken about for the last five minutes without each other? Like how much does the connection between the both of you and the fact you're in a partnership here actually benefit the overall vision of what you want to do? Yeah, yeah. No, I honestly like, I, and I've said this like I reckon I say it almost every day. Like Burrito Bay wouldn't be what it is without Beck, and Beck says the same about me. Like Burrito Bay wouldn't be what it is without Alana. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, having that understanding for each other, it's definitely something that allows a business to thrive. Um, and having that respect and trust for one another too, because I think respect comes into um, play a lot here. Like <clears throat> you have to respect each other to be able to make things work. If if Beck is having an off day, okay, like we can't overwork Beck. Like if I'm having an off day, can't overwork Alana. And I respect that because if Beck's not in the business, business isn't running. Like if Beck if Beck isn't if if I don't have Beck in Burrito Bay, Burrito Bay is nothing. Yeah. Same with me. So we can't lose each other in this. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We do balance each other very well. We're very lucky in that sense. And like Alana said, you know, earlier, it's trust. It's trust that's building this. We need to know that we can have those hard conversations with each other and say, you know, this is good. We need to trust that if we make a decision. Like Alana and I, luckily in the business, have never worked against each other in the sense that we've always had the same direction. We may have a different way to get there, but we'll kind of discuss that. We've never really argued about the business and the, the direction we want it to go in. It's always been very aligned. We just have different strengths and weaknesses and we kind of, they're the opposite to each other. Um, so definitely I don't think that the business would be where it is without both of us in here. I don't think it would thrive the way it does and I don't think that we would probably thrive the way we do. How do you not have arguments with each other? Well, we do. <laughs> we do. It's just not about the business. <laughs> it's, not, it's just not about the business. <laughs> Is there some sort of communication strategy, though, like on a serious note, thinking about how you communicate about the business, like that makes it uh, like a you don't argue with each other very much? Yeah, I've, I've got the strategy, actually. Alana's very bossy. So the strategy is Alana takes charge most of the time. 
<laughs> and, and then you and I let her, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I, I sit back, I don't mind. But then when there's something I really want, I'll say it in Alana respects that because she's like, okay, if Beck can go with my flow. Most of the time, if she says something, it's because she wants it like that. Yeah, mm. it's very true. And you nailed that on the head. Like, <laughs> I am bossy. And I always try to do it my way or no way. But And, and Beck just goes with that. Like, yep, okay, I trust Lana with what she's doing. And, and if Beck does have an idea, and it's always a very good idea. I feel as though, like, yeah, you, you, Beck is... Like, you know, you're probably, you're probably giving yourself the short, short straw here. Like, Beck definitely comes up with great ideas and, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do is because of Beck. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny because, yeah, she's just very patient with decisions, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also, like, if we are kind of having a bit of a tiff, not about the business, my strategy is just please don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> I have the same strategy, but unfortunately people still talk to me. <laughs> um, you both obviously come from, and I don't think we talk about this enough in the industry, how much importance hospitality leaders play in employees' mm. lives around mental health and around listening to people. I intrinsically think that people come into the hospitality industry because they want to feel connected to something, whether they know it instinctively or not, mm. and they're part of a community. Um, obviously, Alana, you've done that with many different brands that you've worked with and bigger hospitality teams and that kind of stuff. But as I hinted at the start of the podcast, Beck, I'm very interested to know, like with your role in disability and obviously in counselling, like how has that benefited you now being a, a co-founder in this business? Uh, it's made a very big difference. I think that, you know, it, there is not enough emphasis on the staff. You know, a lot of businesses, even owners we speak to today, when we first entered the industry, your staff member is just your staff member. You know, we create a family unit there. So you, you've got that level of trust. We talk about things like anxiety because they come up in the workplace. Generally, you know, like I said before, we're getting people at a very young age most of the time. It's the first time they're going to struggle with something like that. Mm. And, you know, you're teaching someone not just how to deal with it after but recognising the signs of it coming up. How do I deal with that when it's coming up? You know, we're both very... Um, good with discussing those things it's not just coming from me we do you know progress reviews every three to four months and we try and stay on top of that with each individual staff and we talk about their kind of goals moving forward and it's not just and it's a very positive the progress reviews most of the time it's like this is what we want you to do better but the progress reviews are actually designed to be positive so it's what do we think you're doing well what do you think you're doing well and what do you want to work on in the sense of your own personal growth so you know sometimes for that month it could be I'm really shy, I don't know how to hold conversations really well, I'd like to work on that. And we discuss how do you hold conversation, what questions do you ask, you know, what do you do there, you know. I don't feel like, you know, we could recognise with some of our younger staff, you know, they might not be able to name a something they're doing well, name a strength. So we discuss that and go, you know, why is it difficult for you to name a strength? And we work on them so then their monthly or couple of months review will be based on this is what I feel like I'm doing well. And we work on that skill to help them to grow, you know. Hospitality, you're right, it's all about connection. And the industry, I'm not sure now, but in general is sometimes a little bit toxic and it's very negative. Um, you know, I remember my first restaurant job 
or uh, when I was 18, the one I was discussing before, um, you know, one of the workers did a meal wrong and it was my second day there and the chef threw the plate at him. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, like I better not mess that up, you know. And that's something we've learned with this business. It's how do we get people to achieve their goals in a positive way, you know, it, and it takes less time. When you praise your staff member, it takes less time. Do you get what I mean? If yeah. someone's confident, you know, we've, we've got staff members where we've said, we see you, we see that you're doing well, like, you know, and they excel over that month, you know, or those weeks after we say that one line, you know, and it's amazing to see that. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> with the progress reviews, like it's very, our progress reviews are very staff forward. So if the staff are achieving their goals and they feel good about themselves, and it goes back to what I was saying before about the business thriving when we thrive um, personally, the business thrives. When the staff is thriving personally and if we can help them and guide them through that, business will thrive. And if Beck and I are stepping back and we have our staff members running the show, it needs to be a similar setup. It needs to be the same setup. Like they need to be feeling good about themselves and confident and they need to be feeling like they have that work-life balance and that we understand them and all that kind of stuff for it to work. Like mm. it's it's funny because, yeah, we've got team leaders and then we've got our workers and we have a fantastic team. Like we owe a lot of, of where Burrito Bay is at because of them and to them. Um, it's funny because, yeah, we often talk about like – um, with our team leaders that we're, we're essentially co-parenting this business together <laughs> and we all have Love to that. have the, the, the same shared vision. We all have to be, um, yeah, aligned in that for it to work. So, um, yeah, making sure that everybody is, is yeah, at their best um, mentally is very important for them, for us and the business. And I think that what the, you know, um, the counselling side and the disability side taught me, which is really important, is that, you know, and I think I've heard someone say this before, I'm not sure where this comes from, but your workers are like chess pieces. You know, you're not playing checkers in the sense where every piece moves the same. You're, it's a chess match. Every piece is different. It has different strengths. It moves differently. Mm -hmm. And that's how we treat everyone. You know, it's not what's good for everyone. It's what's good for each single person. We get to know them. We know their story. We know, you know, things about their lives. And we want to know how to make them work within this, you know, role. We can't put someone in a, a area where it's their weakness and expect them to excel. It's like, okay, this particular staff member's great at communicating. That's a good team leader role. This staff member's so fast. You know, they should be, like, in the kitchen, you know, and, you know, this person's memory is great. Let's have them front of house. They're going to remember every single customer that comes in and remember their orders, and that's what we're looking for. Most of what we do and we talk about is our staff. If we, like, I would say 90% of our conversations yeah. are about staff, 10% are about the business because the business kind of just grows itself because I think that's what makes it work. Personally, it could be wrong. I yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I agree with you. What, how did you come up with that idea? Because what you're saying to me at the level you are both at in this business, which is um, obviously extremely good at the moment, but you're still early stage and I can't mm. wait to see where you're both going to take this business. But everything you're talking about right now is a, is a brand that is thinking they're at 50, they're at 50 venues right now. Like I can't even, 
some some people I work with don't want to do performance reviews with their team. Wow. They might do them every 12 months, right? And the only uh, – and I had a habit of doing this when I first started managing people sort of at, um, in my late teens, early 20s, was I would only give people feedback when they did something that was shit. Yeah, yeah. right. Because that's what you're trained at. That's the what time I'm trained to do. Yeah. yeah. So then I just replicate that. Yeah. And that makes me feel powerful. Yeah. As a guy, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So then I continue to do it because I like to feel powerful. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of feel like you're doing the, the opposite of everything you guys might have both seen in hospitality venues when you first sort of started out. Do you think that's sort of a true indication? It's true. And I think that it comes down to the fact that Alana and I individually never fit the mould. Like <laughs> Alana Alana dropped out of school in year 10, started working in hospo. I finished year 12 but were told essentially by, you know, the school I went to, the teachers, like, you're going to amount to nothing. That was one of the last things walking out the, the school. So we know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that, you know. Then you walk into hospo and generally you're treated like a number, you're treated like nothing, like you're replaceable. No one is replaceable for their skill. Like, their skill is replaceable but that person's not replaceable. Do you get what I mean? And yeah, and I think it wasn't really an idea. Like, it's just something that's flowed through the business naturally. Like, I think, like, us being it's, – it's about being conscious about ourselves and um, and I think that, yeah, learning about what was good for us, again, in the business at the start kind of just has trickled down to the staff as well. Like, we need to take care of ourselves, so we need to take care of the staff too because – yeah, we've seen it turn bad when we weren't good at it. It just, it's, I think it's just kind of happened. It has happened and it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing to see the impact for us of something we do and sometimes we don't notice, like talk about anxiety or step outside with a staff member and seeing the performance of, you know, a, a team leader that's, you know, 15 years old or 16 years old having that same conversation with someone who's the same age. And you're like, <laughs> you that. just think, <laughs> yeah, well. you you know this now. Like, you know what to do. You're going to go out into whatever field, hopefully stay in Burrito Bay forever, but <laughs> whatever field you go into and you're going to make that difference. Do you get what I mean? Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's very important to us. Yeah. Uh, at the start of the podcast, you both talked about how you had a break from hospitality for a moment and then came back into it to both co-create this. Do you find that was a reset for both of you to actually realise you wanted to come back into the industry and actually build it your own way? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think that for me anyway, um, and it might be a different story for you, Beck, but I, I always had the passion for hospitality. That interaction, and I mentioned it before, I had the interaction with the people that I was serving and the customers and I had the interaction with the staff that I was hiring and training. And then I thought, I need a different type of interaction with humans here, right? So I went into sales. I learned that different type of service um, presents you with different types of people. Um, so I got to learn a lot about people and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do in my life within those different styles of service, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I got, yeah, I got to learn a, a lot about people. And I think that that kind of like, yeah, pushed me into the direction that I wanted to go. I think that uh, another contributing factor to wanting to go back to hospitality was I knew it. I just knew what to do and it was my sweet spot. Like I went through a bit of a rough period um, when I was working in sales and I had lost my cousin at the time and I just didn't see my career in sales anymore. I was like, I there's something missing within me and I was just not in a good place. And Burrito Bay it picked me up like I was like well we've got this truck 
and Beck knew as well, like, you are a hospital gun, you've always loved it, get back into it, we've got this truck, like, see what you can do with it. And that allowed me to kind of, yeah, get back into it and that's where I felt comfortable and that's what picked me up again. So um, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a mix of everything, I guess. I think the reset is ver- was very, very important. I think the reset got us out of the culture we were probably in beforehand and into the new culture. Um, you know, working with just Alana and I for the first year or year and a half maybe, it was just the two of us. So you're working with one other person, which is a lot more difficult than working with five people that you see a fresh face every day and stuff. If we didn't get along it was game over, you know, I I remember at the start, because we had to learn how to, you know, do that at the start, you know, sometimes we'd shut the shop early, the truck early, Mm -hmm. and we'd just like go our separate ways and be, you know, really annoyed. And it's all a learning game, you know. (laughs) And I was like, don't talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) And you were like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the reset was really good. It gave us it, you know, the both workplaces that we worked in, I think, gave us the foundation and the skills we needed. But I think that we just needed to not have such a set, like, drive on which way we were going with this. You know, even now, we, you know, we've just opened our second restaurant in um, North Melbourne and we're kind of still going, are we going to open more? Are we not? We're not set on anything. And that sounds like a crazy idea, you know. For most business owners, they'll be going, you guys are idiots. Like, you know, but that's why we get these kind of opportunities that come to us because we're not, we don't have this narrow vision. We're like, all right, you know, like the MCG reached out for us to cater, or to, sorry, not to cater, to trade at the front of the MCG for the season. And we, yeah. For this season, and we were building, obviously, the restaurant, so we couldn't say no, but if we were like, we have to build the restaurant, we wouldn't have even thought about that. That opportunity yeah. wouldn't be there. Do you get what I mean? 100%. So I think that's what the reset did for us. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think as well, making that jump, because we weren't... I mean, we were happy with our lives, not being in hospitality, but we knew that there was something more. Making that jump and taking that leap... And not com- and we took the leap. We thought we were going to catch on to something, right? We missed. We missed. COVID hit, like, and we fell. Like, I think that that has given us a resilience as well to be able to do anything now. If any, we're presented with anything, we'll, we know we can get through it. So having that reset, taking that jump, missing, failing, getting back up, mm. having COVID, and that becoming our new norm has allowed us to be – so we, we're able to pivot – through anything and it's given us that ability to do so so i think that 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 yeah that that time between hospo and now hospo has been so crucial to where we are now because mm. yeah we've allowed ourselves to fail mm. yeah yeah i think it's interesting like the thing that's come out of this episode for me and i'll get into the final question in a second is resilience with both of you uh i think resilience is really coming through um on this podcast which i hope people are sort of resonating with as they're listening to it and thinking about their own businesses or their own journey in hospitality right now because there are massive challenges obviously with mental health and especially in a place like Melbourne and Sydney which have been locked down in and out for the last three years like it's just been that sort of feeling that you know are we getting further are we actually moving forward and and you both are just doing such amazing things with your team that I think it just shows that you can if you just think about it and you want to have a purpose of doing the right thing and, and just doing it for a, a really good reason. So that's what I've got out today. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point too. Like, I think that constantly through your business, your purpose changes. And Mm. you've, you know, like beforehand, our purpose was growing the restaurant, renovating, getting it started, hiring staff. That was a, like, how do we grow? Now it's very much on staff and that's going to stay through. But, you know, the reason you come to work changes. And, you know, when you work for someone else, you can kind of go, all right, I'm done here, I'm leaving. But you've got to find a new purpose. What's your strategy, like, moving forward? Because sometimes you do hate going into work, you know? Like, we went through a stage where we were like, how are we going to get through this? Like, we're Mm. so mentally exhausted of this place. Like, let's stop. And it lasted like a month, and both of us were going through it at the same time, you know? Mm. And then it's just like getting through that, like... Yeah, I also think like <clears throat> having other people to speak to as well, like like through this like year we had a few um, friends in the hospitality industry that kind of gave up, um, but then we had people that stuck through and were always there for each other, having that community, um, being able mm-hmm. to chat about it. I We, we actually went and uh, so Beck and I, we, we went to this thing where we listened to somebody speak and they were making this whole speech about businesses and COVID and how, you know, if you've got like a whole marathon of people and everyone's running and then you've got COVID basically setting some people back, you guys are going to be able to, if you keep running, you're going to be able to push forward. And yeah, that analogy was great. But what I truly think will make a better story is if the people that had the strength to push through carried everybody else over the finish line with them would have made a better headline than one person winning. And I honestly think having that community um, behind you is so essential. And I find that the HOSPO community is just one of those family-type communities that you just need to back you. Mm. And um, where, you know, we, we obviously have that, that community behind us and we're there for those people too if they need us. Yeah, you're definitely both growing that and evolving that, which is the most exciting thing about both your stories. I love it. Um, my final question to you both is like, you've got the, you've got the business in an amazing place. What do you want to take it next? Being that flexible kind of moment where you're thinking about things as they sort of come up, like where do you think you want to take it next? So we're looking to potentially get into franchising. We're starting to dabble in the idea of, you know, franchising whether we're going to open stores and we'll own them and then you know we'll get one of our staff members to own a portion and run it um you know obviously people are excelling um we're not we're not too sure we know that we're we kind of have an idea that we're probably going to open more but um it's really difficult because we don't know how many we can open before it stops being what it is now um that's that's our major concern so we're kind of growing at a rate where we can keep it It, we're we're at a funny point where kind of opportunities are coming but we're just not ready to take them um so i think that we're looking at that we're also you know alana came up with a great idea where we start you know trying to supply to ourselves um you know and go down that avenue where we become the supplier um you know yeah like supply chain all that kind of stuff so um, looking at what Burrito Bay does really well and start adding to, like, not our menu, but things outside of Burrito Bay. Like, we've got beers that we've done with a local um, brewery. So we've done, like, a Burrito Bay beer with Bonehead, which is a local brewery around yeah. us. And people love that. So um, <clears throat> having, a, like, going down maybe, you know, the restaurant avenue, um, 
but also other products that Burrito Bay can provide as well, which is more of a supply chain type of, of idea. I think that, yeah, because we're focusing so much on, um, you know, upskilling our staff and making sure that aspect of, of the store is stores are going well, um, those types of things that we're looking at doesn't really require that. Mm. Um, and it's a little bit of a less energy type of thing. Um, but yeah, who knows? Like, you know, like we've said, we've never really thought about things too hard. It's just kind of been like opportunity presents itself. It seems like a good fit for this time. Let's do it. So yeah, let's see what the universe brings us and what opportunities come and yeah, we'll go with it. But yeah, yeah definitely expansion. Mm. Yeah. Cause I feel like you're trying to create a legacy here. Like mm. this isn't just about making some cash and having some fun, rolling some burritos. Like, you actually are trying to create proper change within the people who are coming through your business, whether they be working for you or whether it be customers. Mm. And I think you're just trying to grow with that and actually take the opportunities that feel right to you at the time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. is that? Do you think that's a fair analogy as well? Yeah. yeah. Alana, ma- Alana, and I make all of our decisions based on gut instinct. We don't look at the numbers. We don't look. We know that we can make anything we put our minds to work. We've learnt that across the way, along yeah. the way, you know. So we kind of see an opportunity, you know, and one always looks better than the other by a lot. And then we go, which feels right? What people felt right? You know, we've got very good intuition with people. So we'll be like, all right, what what direction did they want to take us in? What are their goals? Sometimes, you know, we're, we're a small business, you know. We only started three years ago. So a lot of our opportunities are looking at what opportunities can, like Alana said, running the race with everyone, what opportunities can we give someone else if we see an opportunity and we go, all right, someone's starting out, how can we help them? We'll do that. We'll pick that opportunity because we know that that person's going to grow and we know that eventually that's someone we can trust as well. Do you get what I mean? Mm. Um, and it's also fulfilling. So, yeah, some. So I do think that Burrito Bay is going to take quite a random path. I don't think that our kind of decision-making will make a lot of sense when you put it down to, you know, what opportunities look the best or what figures look like they're going to be the best. But I think that it is going to grow and, you know, it's going to take a weird direction, but we're going to get there. Cool. Today's been beyond an inspirational podcast. I know that uh, our Poe community will definitely want both of you back next year if you're free. <laughs> and we'd like to share some more wisdom because I, I you are both doing this for amazing reasons for our industry. So thank you for doing what you're doing, especially with um, such young talent within the hospitality industry. Like what I can tell is that you're actually creating guidance for them to actually know that hospitality can be a career mm. and can be a career in the proper way. So I appreciate that. Um, what's the best way that people can find out more about Burrito Bay and come and visit you guys in Melbourne? Um, well, anyone listening at home, can check us out on our socials, so at burritobay.official. Um, we're in Ascot Vale, so Mount Alexander Road, um, 413 Mount Alexander, um, and we're also at Easy Street in um, uh, North Melbourne, so 275 Macaulay Road. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two set venues um, at the moment, and uh, we'll keep you updated on anything else that comes ahead. Beautiful. Uh, it's going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast as always, so you can check out everything they're doing. Beck, Lana, thanks so much for your time. Thank thanks. you. Thanks for having us. We loved it. <laughs>
Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing along your reviews, giving it a five-star. We really, really appreciate it. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder, has a design business called Principle Design, and it's one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principledesign.com.au. And myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. We also have a new onboarding and training brand called 42 Days. You can check them out at 42days.co. Thanks so much for tuning to this episode. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. Today's ethos is to build solutions for hospitality businesses to retain and develop their team. We believe that the first 42 days, the first six weeks of someone's employment in any industry, but especially the world of hospitality, is so competitive, fast-paced and intense. We have an opportunity to reshape that narrative. Our team has extensive experience in the hospitality industry so we know what it takes to keep your team happy and engaged. We'll work with you every step of the way to create a plan that works best for your business. Go to 42days.co to book a consultation.